this is Romancing the Zone, a podcast about a podcast about boys playing tabletop games. I'm Mel Bailey. I'm Brittany Bailey. And I'm Ann Kern. Let's roll. 16! That's always good. Alright, so to start off, we get a really quick, well actually not really quick, uh, recap of all the clues thus far. Mm-hmm. I didn't write them down. I also didn't write them down. Wait, so none of only the McElroys wrote them down. Only the did. McElroys know or care. <laughs> My question is: There's a joke in here, and I'm hoping that you know what it was. Mm-hmm. I've no okay. idea. Uh, was it the Poirot impression? Was that the joke you didn't okay. get about the little gray yes. cells? Yes, that I, was a, I, that was a it was a part of a Poirot impression, halfway to a Poirot impression, and a Poirot reference. Okay. He's always telling people to use their little gray cells. So yeah, I wrote it down. I was like, what's the joke? And we'll know. <laughs> and I just kept going. Like, I'm not even going to look this up. I do. She called it. She had it. So after a quick recap of the clues, we've got Errol kind of conversing with the two, not thugs, gentle thugs. The roughs. The roughs um, who come up, who are now named. And Travis yes. does say he named them after listeners, which is very cool. Yeah. So we know that he is using that. Mm-hmm. So we've got Ellis. Mm-hmm. And is it Blackwood? Yes, which to me seemed like okay. an odd... It's very close to Blackwell. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> and I wrote that down, and I was like, why? Like, there's so many listeners. Like, bravo, Blackwood listener, for sneaking in there. Yeah, congratulations, for sure. But yeah, real close. I've so. already decided that Blackwood and Ellis are dating, also, just to throw that in there. <laughs> Good. I think Always. I think that's believable, yeah. Yeah, and you've got, like, the chatty one, the quiet one. Absolutely, and it's especially with what up. we get from them later. I definitely want to draw these two. Please do. <laughs> yeah, I, I was also super into Ellis being, like, weirdly supportive and Errol being completely <laughs> suspicious and not having any of it and just refusing yeah. to go with him. And then doing this whole bit about him him saying he's going to give up his gun and them trying to say, oh, no, it doesn't matter. It's fine. And that the whole thing was just a ploy so that he could sh- throw his gun and hit this neighborhood watch bell. <laughs> Which is really genius. <laughs> That was brilliant. Like, I, I laughed, like, Clint's, Clint cackling at that was the same way that I laughed at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it really was so smart. Errol making that move makes total sense that he's he feels like he's in danger. Mm-hmm. And he set up the system specifically, not for this, but for anybody who might be in this position of danger, mm-hmm. that the neighborhood can rally together and help out one of their own. And that's exactly what happens, much to the amusement of all of the rest right. of us, that this ends up being a... Non-concern. I love that it's such a good move to such mm-hmm. an amazing goof after that. Because they do. <laughs> yes. My favorite thing is when all of them just start going and going and you can't stop them. And it reminded me of um, in the balance arc when Magnus is putting the team together the losers oh my god absolutely and i will always remember that exactly i was on a plane (laughs) and just laughing to myself for like at least 20 minutes and so much so that a flight attendant came up they're like i don't know what you're listening to but i i I love it already and i'm just like oh my god because they're just watching my face be so delighted by this and it was the same thing now i'm at work and just laughing into my hand and oh the best it was so funny it's so funny and just so much fun all of them getting in on it and griffin just kind of having to be like yep okay okay yeah all right you got me just dealing with it i have to say i love the inclusion of derek 
because oh, it is Derek. a name so close to my heart. And that he's and even gluten free. <laughs> even gluten free. I was like, are they? You and Derek. They're reading my heart. Instead of <laughs> last week, friends can read each other's hearts. Has has your cat been tweeting? He might have Using been. Hashtag yes. his own cast. I would not be surprised mm. if after he is work, our cat or... co-host. It's true. Yep. His fingers on his paws on the pulse. He knows what's up. <laughs> so yeah, gluten free, Derek. I got your back. Um, and Ambrosia is gluten free. If that is what one of the townspeople asked. I think it was Ambrosia. I re-listened to that a yeah, few times. Yeah, it was times. Ambrosia. Okay, yeah. Totally gluten-free. We're good. So we have Anne here to enlighten us on niche goofs, and we have Brittany here to tell us what <laughs> is and is not gluten-free. I'm here to help. This show is bringing you everything you could want. <laughs> well, and so while uh, Errol's entire neighborhood is laughing at him, we get this really sweet moment between Gandhi and Gus, because we, when we check in with them, you know, she's having just been fed on. We learn that she... Doesn't remember any of it, which made me wonder. I wonder if that's a thing that, like, vampires have, if it's almost like a mosquito, how a mosquito can, like, they'll bite you, but they almost put something in your skin so you don't feel it right away. Yeah, yeah, oh. they, there's, like, a numbing in the venom. Yeah, that I was going to say, yeah, do like I forget every time a mosquito's bitten me? Because, no, I'm immune to that. <laughs> I remember every It doesn't give one. you amnesia. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but I did wonder if it was sort of an effect that vampires have. Like, this is a thing. So that it's almost more, it's not as, it's not like traumatizing. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're very slowly pulling the vampire lore together. There's nothing to be like, this is what it is, but more like, we... piece it together, <laughs> friends. Figure this out. We're putting our own clues together. And it has nothing to do with who killed a vampire. <laughs> right. It's just, what the hell are the vampires what about? Are they, what are they That's do? what our clue list is. Well, Travis did tweet earlier, I don't know if you guys saw, uh, that he's hoping to do another The the Adventure Zone Zone when this is done to talk about some more behind-the-scenes stuff that he's been working on. So I think think you guys are right that this was a piece of vampire lore that he's worked out. Yeah, which is a really – it's a really cool idea. And it also allows them in the story to skirt what could potentially have been kind of an awkward – scene of like okay and now (laughs) i'm glad we could just move past it yeah Mm -hmm. and on to the next thing it didn't need to be there it wasn't anything of immediate consequence homegirl's fine isabella got to eat and we got our information from marcus which um was that the banshee benefits from the town being unincorporated yeah but he also he also points out that this seems too sloppy to have been her thing. Right. That even though she might have had motive, it doesn't seem like her method. Right. Thank you. So that's the information that we get from Marcus. And then as they're leaving, Gus and Gandy have this sweet and hilarious moment where she thanks him (laughs) for looking out for her um, and then mentions that she's hungry and ghost cashews come into play. So here's a new fact that we have. Ghost food exists. Ghost, ghost snack food, anyway. I, I have to admit, I heard this bit, and I was thinking, how can I make, like, plush spectral cashews now? Oh, I'm really tempted least. to do it. I don't have time to design a logo for the cashew company. I started one, and I was like, ah, Ooh, i got yes. work to do. But I may have to make some some ghost cashews. I love I love the idea of these unending supply that he has of, of <laughs> these ghost cashews yes, that are just more. in his pocket. But you can't, like, you can't eat them. They're, no, they're not nutritious at all. Like, you're not getting any sustenance, but here they it's are. It's a marvel like, of candy. <gasps> Delighted. It did create a moment. It does. It was very sweet. Bonding over snacks. And that's the real treasure here. And we got to see an actual in-game effect that comes from this as well. These magic friendship points that they've gotten from this, he can now rally to her should she have a moment where she needs him. 
Uh, but then her effect on him is almost a detriment in a way because he can't run. That was a little confusing. <laughs> yeah, he gets a it's a it's a minus. Was it minus one or minus two to escape? I think it's so. One. If they're, yeah, minus one. because you have an option in this gameplay system of running away from battle, God. which you oh, often yeah. don't. Yeah, and it affects that. Like a JRPG, yep. I get it. Okay, so he would have a harder time making that. Uh-huh. It would be like can't escape when you try to hit that button. I got you. Yeah, I'm I'm really charmed by their relationship. I mean, not just because it's fun and funny, but that I think that it's really mm-hmm. interesting thematically to have this relationship between the ghost and the girl who's afraid of dying. Oh yeah, that's very charming. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting contrast. I love that. That's a very good point. The two of them specifically have that really great dynamic. And then it was sweet because then uh, when Errol meets back up with them, I love it when they're trying to suss out what to do next after they've all kind Uh of uh, shared what they know. (laughs) And he says, do you guys want to split up? And then he says, I mean, I miss you. And it's just, it's very cute. The three of them are all very, very precious. And it happened a couple times in this episode that again i was like this arc feels the closest to the the charm and the goofiness and the earnestness of mm-hmm. balance yeah i agree i also agree i think they've been able to really hit the ground running with with all of these emotional notes of it being funny and fun and lighthearted in places and mm-hmm. being really serious in others i do think it's fun that trav was going for dark <laughs> like he he said that a few times like i want it dark i want it gritty and it is very lighthearted like it is dark you know we're dealing with the murder the setting is yeah but the goofs are there and the heart is there and i love that that's it exactly and luckily our heroes do decide to stay together this time they all missed each other and errol along with saying that he was he missed everybody uh also voiced the fact that he did not want to face the banshee alone despite the fact he was specifically asked to do exactly that Mm -hmm. and his reaction being yeah fuck that i was like there he is there's my boy (laughs) so great we're all staying together but first we have to go see dylan over at the sheriff's office oh my baby dylan let's go see that baby oh before we go talk to that baby we do talk to sheriff connors and girls i was doing like eight other things while i was listening to this both times and he does say that he talked to Silver. Yes, of Silver's linings. Yes, yes. Okay. yes. He talked to the he talked to the tailor, and it's a little confusing. But he the, the tailor was also drunk at the time, so of maybe course. that was why. But but he saw Dylan in the street. He didn't see him initially with blood on him until he thinks after he had bent over Jeremiah's body. So from his standpoint, it probably wasn't Dylan. And he certainly it's, didn't see yeah. him actually commit the murder. Mm-hmm. So that adds some more credibility to the argument that. Dylan is not guilty. Yeah. Right. Okay, so just before they talk to Dylan, they step aside and they're going through their list of suspects of who it could possibly be. Yeah. Um, so we start with Liam, which mm-hmm. I find doubtful. I think he's a dum-dum <laughs> and a little too obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, That's if fair. you've ever played these video games, like, it's never who you really think it is. <laughs> except Everybody for, I think, go play Ace life, Attorney. It normally is. Right? Okay. Uh, we got Tommy Knox who is Jeremiah's godfather, who is a fang. Have we met him? No. No, and I cannot wait to meet him. Okay, so, because I wrote that, and I was like, I don't know who this is. All right, fantastic. We've got Dylan, who, nah, nah, nah. He's a sweet angel baby. Like, no, no, he didn't do it. (laughs) Then we've got Johnny Mathis. What a good reveal. Who apparently was an off-screen thing, Mm -hmm. and we find out was the ghost we met in the cemetery in episode one. Who is Abigail's husband, Dylan's father, 
clearly didn't do it. He's dead. Abby. And the person they didn't bring up who very obviously did it was Anne. <laughs> of course. <laughs> She's not even on their list. They are all being duped. She's not on the list. For all. Listen to me, you fools. I say graduate style, pounding on the sheriff's office window. (laughs) She's the betrothed murderer. (laughs) (laughs) Which that is an important thing that uh, Errol does let the other two know about the marriage between Anne and Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. He decides to have that conversation with them after the sheriff has been asked to step outside. So he does. He chooses not. Right. He almost tells him. He doesn't want to let Connors know. Yes. Right. Which is important. I do like that they they do respect the murderer's wishes and don't bring up <laughs> that she got married. Yes. I don't feel real chagrined if it's not her. <laughs> I really do think it is. Ooh, that's going to be pie on our face. I'm not sure whether I should be more defensive. <laughs> but hey, you know what I'm really glad about? They're finally calling it a cell. So my brain space saw a cell this time. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody. Oh, that reminds so. me. On Twitter, we had asked what you think of when you hear the word cage. And our friend and listener, Twitter user Minikui, which is an adorable name, she says that she usually thinks of an old-timey birdcage, but if it's dogs, cats, werewolves, or other non-birds, she thinks of those dog cages with the squeeze latches. Uh, people cages, though, just get kinky and more like jail cells. <laughs> so she's in perfect company, and this is why you are sitting at our table with us. Thank you for getting at us. That was a great response. So, but now you've heard the word cell and you can, he's no longer crammed into a Your mental picture has been erased and redrawn. It's sad how important that is. (laughs) Yes. That instant visual is so important. Bobcat, all I saw. Cage, (laughs) little little dog cage. You're just making everything tiny. And Travis even says earlier, words are important. And I agree with it. Fair. Word choice means a lot. Okay, so Dylan's in a cell. Mm -hmm. He's still very sad. He's extremely sad. Because! Yo! Everybody imagine me jumping up, high-fiving my co-host, and then doing the (laughs) saddest victory lap around the table, high-fiving everyone. (laughs) Because we were totally fucking right, and it's so sad. It's so heartbreaking. And Travis does it so well. God, Trav. Because, yeah, again, so, like, vindicated that... I, I I called it. I knew it. Hey. And then, yeah, just devastated that, oh, now my poor baby. Like, he's so sad. And rightly so on so many levels. And what so. a good way to put it. I love Ugh. the wording of, have you ever been the happiest and the saddest about the same thing? Which is mm-hmm. hard. Like, I think that's the most heartbreaking yeah. part of this is that he loves his sister and he loves Jeremiah so much that he's so happy for both of them. And then at the, yet at the same time, this is heartbreaking for him because he's in love with Jeremiah and he can't have him. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. very, it is extremely sad. I think Travis overall, I mean, especially with the scene, but he's doing a fantastic job giving these NPCs character development so and this good. depth and making and mm-hmm. making things like this. Like, this is a piece of information that they need to solve the crime, right? So it's not just yes. dramatically motivated. Right. But it lands with such intensity Mm-hmm. And you can hear them respond to it as well. So it's not just oh for God. us as audience members. Griff's mm-hmm. little, like, mutter at the end. Yeah. When he says he, uh, Jeremiah died in his arms and you just hear that mutter of Jesus. It was yeah. so raw. It was, God, they're so good. And then we've got Justin's follow-up with Gus where he oh talks about, you know, the funniest thing on the spectral side. And they do a little prop work, <laughs> which I, of course, 
think about the root beer glass and love that, um, (laughs) is when beings and the mortal coil believe they have the time to punish themselves for things that aren't their fault. Mm. And he's like, you don't have that time. And I'm like, this is so good for the game. And just in uh-huh. general, like anybody listening yeah. to this, I'm like, listen, like rewind that, listen to it again, and then yeah. put it on a t-shirt. Like, oh my God. So no, I, good. I absolutely got goosebumps listening. Even mm-hmm. the second time when I was taking notes, I was like, I have to pause this because I'm getting, I'm getting chills. Justin, right. Justin is like, like the glass shark of emotionally compromising <laughs> me specifically. Like you never see him coming. You never know he's there. And he, he yeah. always gets you. He always gets yeah. you when you don't expect it. That's a perfect, perfectly hilarious and apt <laughs> a description of exactly what he does. My note just says, um, Augustus's speech, Errol and I are now both in love with him. Because I already said before, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to end up being in love with Augustus. We all just know it. Mm-hmm. And then as it was happening, I was just like, I just, for whatever reason, imagine like Errol and Gandhi just like anime style, shiny eyes looking at him like, whoa, this right. guy. Ooh. And... The antidote to despair is action. Amazing. I wrote that one down. It's oh, such a good line. That was very good. Like that's that is going on a t-shirt. Like that's going on stuff. I'm gonna like write it on something and just stick it to my wall for the rest of this week as I'm trying not to uh-huh. just <laughs> fall apart with all the things I have to do. There you Keep go. it together. <gasps> Thanks, Augustus. Yes. Thanks, Justin. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> You're listening just here. Sharpie it on your arm. It'll be fine. I'm, I should. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Put it anywhere you're going to need to see it yeah. a few times a day to be like, no, you're mm-hmm. right. On your bathroom mirror, you can pr- pr- pretend that Augustus wrote it for you. So <laughs> oh, in your bathroom. Now, and... it's, now it's romantic. I love it. Yes. <laughs> Bring it back to the name of the show. You're being haunted, but very supportively. <laughs> yeah. I love this. A supportive this is, haunting. I, this is perfect. But that whole, that speech did get Dylan to finally talk a little bit. And yes. what he gives us is Liam also loved Anne mm-hmm. and hated Jeremiah. Yes. And where I say, why is everyone so into Anne? So Anne, <laughs> please explain. This, I don't <laughs> Anne, know. Can you give us some insight here as to why into- I'm so into you? Girl, what's your secret? I mean, I get for our Anne. What about Of the course. Other? I had this idea as I was listening to last week's, our show last week, as I was editing, it dawned on me, what if that's not even the she he was talking about? Hmm. Certainly Mm. possible. You know what I mean? Like, they make it, everybody says that's the only girl he could possibly care about, or like that he would care enough about that it would be so important to him, but they never, and they just kind of leave it at that, and everybody just accepts it and goes along with it. So to me, it just seems a little like something that maybe should be revisited or at least a pin stuck in that just to keep it in mind. It could be that it is her, but it could be that it isn't. And they didn't know why he wouldn't talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think everybody interpreted it as, you know, oh, well, whatever, there's there's his sister and he wants to protect her or something. Uh-huh. But they didn't because know, presumably, that he was in love with Jeremiah <laughs> and that that may have been, right. you know, casting this this different atmosphere over everything that he said or didn't say Mm -hmm. who is she (laughs) but yeah that's just what i wanted to throw out there that's fair well and it's still yeah i feel like we could talk for so long about why he wouldn't talk why she wouldn't have wanted anything said she being Anne at this point because that's it too if it is Anne, why besides the mm -hmm. marriage thing besides i have a theory about this but 
I can't talk about it until later. Ooh, oh, okay. secrets. And then we end with Errol deciding that Dylan's not going to die tomorrow. Oof. And I was like, yeah, my protective werewolf. It's very Is there attractive. anything better? Yeah? Mm-mm. And just like, and just telling Dylan, like, you're not going to die tomorrow. Like, we're going to. Just gonna... so confident. And like, him, it's like, you can see it. Him hearing this around just be like, all right. This mm-hmm. isn't happening. Right. I'm letting you know this isn't happening. We'll they, be back later. Yeah, and they let the uh-huh. sheriff know as well and, and point uh-huh. out that it would not be justice. Right. Hell yeah. Clint's moment there is Gandhi. Very good. So fucking good. I'm in love with the way everybody is playing their characters. The way Trav is 18 people and these three are each just killing it as our heroes. It's great. Mm-hmm. You're all doing great, sweeties. I say, holding up four phones. Right, like just so many phones. I need to record each, each of them on their own phone. <laughs> they each, they're so important, they each get a, a phone to themselves that I have to record on. Your phone bill is ridiculous, but so worth it. I, it's so worth it, you guys. She's got the family plan for herself. <laughs> for just me. I need at least four. And the fifth one for all my selfies. Thank you. That one's just for now. So after they definitively, after it is decided that Dylan is not dying in the morning, we know we have to go to the Banshee. Yeah, and this is, I, I wrote down, this is some Winchester shit. <laughs> Just a, oh. like a reference to Supernatural. This is the kind of stuff that would shoot really well on, on a show like that, that there's this apparently mm. abandoned house with a caved-in roof, and they go around back to this storm cellar, and then what's inside of the storm cellar is actually this relatively well-appointed foyer with these guards and then this room beyond with uh that's that smells of flowers it's it's very creepy and i think it's very easy to picture this as a visual as a cinematic style visual like what the lighting would be like and what the atmosphere of it would be like sure i think travis did again travis being being evocative as fuck (laughs) so fucking evocative and my note here just says that he is a great mc and i think the reason i wrote that down great job taking notes here (laughs) was because of his ingenuity in reframing why the Banshee had an interest in Errol to begin with as this werewolf politician and why then it was oh, yeah. a detriment to the Banshee that he would want to become human and that one of their own people would help him to become human. Yep, Daria Cross. And now we've had Gandhi helping him hide. Mm-hmm. So it's cool to see Trav as the MC be able to take what his players have decided and use that to reshape his own lore. Yeah, I mean it wasn't just filling no, in the such... blanks. It was it was using it to elevate all of the things in the story to make them make mm-hmm. more sense. I like that they they have big world storytelling. And yes. that's so neat that they can do it so quickly. And I'm sure that Travis didn't come up with that on the fly like right there. He was thinking about it ahead of time, but it's still the sure. fact that he thought of it. Like it came from yeah. his brain. Because of the world we built, and it was we, <laughs> we have a lot to do with this. Um, because of the world they <laughs> built, power. because of the character that Griffin made, I oh, that's so good. That's what I mm-hmm. want to do. I want that. <laughs> that's definitely the that's definitely the mark of a, of a good MC in this case or game master in general to be able Absolutely. to build off to build your world and your characters and your plot points off of what your what your characters what your players are doing. Yeah, in in mm-hmm. the game. And he's, he, I think he's gotten very effective at that. Absolutely. So they're on the way to meet the Banshee, and uh, uh, we've gone spectral for both Gus and Gandhi. Gandhi has veiled herself. Gus has gone 
he's corporeal mm-hmm. and he can be he can heard, be felt but he heard. cannot be yeah. seen now, so, which means he's making noise. And same with Gandhi. So you've got <laughs> Errol, again, played by Griffin, playing him so well and thinking outside of himself and making it's all of this noise and yeah. talking about how he's talking to himself the whole time, going down and like stomping <laughs> really hard. <laughs> just shouting letting everybody know I want to be one of the guards down there and be like what the fuck is up with this guy like <laughs> the yeah, scene we get is, it both of these two Blackwood and Ellis who are dating um, are just chilling Ellis is feeling better probably got a background from Blackwood <laughs> exactly and they hear the fucking cellar door slam open and then they hear this this <laughs> ding dong tromping down the stairs shouting about how he's here now <laughs> this this mental image is is so fantastic. This every this podcast so is the number good. one reason why I wish that I actually knew how to animate anything to save my life, oh my in God. spite of having dropped out of animation school. <laughs> because this is this is so funny. I I really hope that this is one of the bits that people seize on of Errol just cartoonishly it. waving his arms and stomping yes. his way down the stairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he is taken to a room. With a little, and I put older woman because I don't think 65 is old woman. Nah. Um, yeah. It's not. A little older woman at age about 65 who mm-hmm. we now recognize as the Banshee. And I wrote, thank God the Banshee is a woman. Because I think all women, <laughs> all, all women are Banshees. All Banshees are women. <laughs> put that on a shirt. It's true. <laughs> That's some more wisdom from your girls here. So we do, we finally get some insight from the Banshee. She seems very jovial, or at least they seem very jovial. Again, I don't necessarily want to assign gender to this, uh, this very powerful being here. It's a, it's all, it's all very polite, but I think it's more Mm -hmm. threatening in a way because it's polite from, from both sides, because it's really clear that Errol does not want to be in a room with this person. She's the antithesis Mm -hmm. of everything that he wants for his community and yes. even though she's coming to him and saying, I have something to offer you and I want to work with you and I want this to be very cordial and polite, he's not really on board for any of it. Like he's he's tense and angry this entire time. Right. Because mm-hmm. he knows there's there's something else there. Well, because bad people don't generally say nice things unless they want something from you that's probably going to end badly for everybody. Right. right. So there's this shady deal mm-hmm. kind of being offered to Errol here. And not only that, we're also hearing the opposite to what we've been led to believe is true here and that the Banshee wants the town to be incorporated. According to them, when there's a sense of stability and normalcy, then people tend to seek out chaos almost Mm -hmm. as a means of recreation. So they want this deal Mm -hmm. to go through. And here's where the polite threats begin. Polite, but but not at all uncertain. No, no. Of the suggestion of, well, the, the Black Mariah is sitting in the middle of town, and maybe we could buy Carrion Street, and maybe we could buy the Cashew Company and destroy it. You have to appreciate the position Errol is now being put in, because that's... He's not alone, and he knows he's not alone, but in this moment, he is speaking for himself and two other people who are now being directly threatened. And I love that this is the moment that Augustus is like... <laughs> Surprise, here I am. You <laughs> called it. You got me. He He's now willing to step in and be here with Errol and essentially take that entire decision off of only his shoulders and voice the fact that he's, that yeah, let's make this deal because he, he still wants his cashew company back. The, ban- the Banshee definitely knew right where their uh-huh. hot buttons were mm-hmm. because she knew that the way to push Errol was to push his mm-hmm. friends his, his and community. that the way to push 
Gus, at least specifically, I think I think Gus would be more vulnerable to this kind of negotiation than Gandhi in some ways. But that the way to push Gus's buttons was the one thing that's still tying him to Earth, which is his obsession with his cashew uh-huh. company. And then Gandhi was her Uncle Oni, is in the Black Mariah. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. That's all of her stuff. That's all of her stuff. The only the only thing that she's that she's tied uh-huh. to really, right. that ties her to Earth. So they make the deal. Gus agrees to it that that you know don't do these things. We're we're going to help you. We're going to we're going to solve this murder. And she immediately vacates what is apparently her vessel and leaves them with this envelope with a house key and an address right. and a warning not to trust the sheriff. And there it is. Whoa. So I still I I have at the very end. I still think it's Anne. After all mm-hmm. this, even though they've not brought her up at all. But I really no, do. Really. Here's my list. Here's my, because I started yeah. playing Phoenix Wright That's, again. So I'm building, um, I'm building my case. You're, so yeah. she had access to the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. Access to cleaning the murder weapon. Mm-hmm. The perfect Patsy, Liam, in love with her. She took his weapon. Like, she had access to all this stuff. Suspicious mm-hmm. behavior, sleeping suspiciously, which was fun mm-hmm. to write. Um, <laughs> yep. With Jeremiah married to her and now gone, what kind of access to the Blackwell fortune does she have? Also, shit, I didn't do even the think Blackwells about that. Have a fortune? See, like, <laughs> I mean, I would think so. <laughs> I would guess they own the copper mine. Like, they've got something. Now she might yeah. own both of them. So we need to meet Tommy Knox and. I cannot remember his name. Joseph Blackwell? Yes. Jeremiah's father. And Jeremiah gave off feelings of confusion and betrayal when he was killed. He knew it. He knew who he was being killed Mm. by. And he didn't know Mm. why. Right. If it were Liam, he would be confused, but not betrayed. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and I even capitalized betrayal. And I'm writing this by hand, so you know what's important. <laughs> all my notes are by hand, so. so I'm like, duh. No, those are all very good points. Do, do you want to hear my, my super crack theory? Always. Yes, please. I, I don't think it's the Banshee, because it would be a really complicated way to go about a power grab to have someone investigate a murder yeah. that you committed. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that maybe uh, Anne is possessed. Mm. And it's not actually her that was killing people because we have just established we've seen we've seen it was a corpse in this case. But we have seen the Banshee possess a body. We know that there are ghosts who are doing this. We know from the gameplay side that it is possible if you mark corruption moves to possess people and manipulate them in different ways. So I think maybe she's being manipulated by Interesting. Okay. So the vote is still like Anne was the one carrying it out, but under an influence of someone else. Because she doesn't have a she doesn't have a real strong motive yet. That was I know. I wrote that. I was like, the only thing I'm missing is the motive. I've got everything else. Right. Which is why I tried to tie in there's a fortune on the line. No, certainly. There's a name, there's a title, (laughs) presumably. I mean you would think. If she's now technically a black. She still has to live with her mom. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, listen, I was just trying to get out of this house. <laughs> but yeah, the lack of motive and her odd behavior, you know, being so sleepy when these awful things are happening and what have you. Possession seems like a very good possibility here. And I do want to mention we had um, a theory from another one of our friends at the table here. Sorry, I know that that's the name of a podcast. I don't mean to keep doing that. 
Uh, our friend SLJ says their proposal is, and this was before this episode came out, so some of these may have already been answered. Uh, one, the Banshee, the Banshee is a ghost. Two, the Banshee possessed both of our young men, one at a time to bring them out and murder. Three, the Banshee has a connection to Anne, with E in parentheses, we don't know yet, <laughs> like she's her spirit or is connected to her, and the events that caused it were covered up with, quote-unquote, a secret marriage. So that's a little bit of column A and column B. And now, of course, we do have a little bit more mm-hmm. information on this episode, so there's a good chance they would tweak that theory, but I wanted to share it with everybody. Right. So, and that's a thing too. If you're listening to this and you want to throw theories at us, let us know. We're totally down. We want to read them. Absolutely. We want to hear them. The wilder, the better. Let's all speculate wildly. I think both of what you guys are saying sounds great. And I, I don't bring anything new. I don't have a new theory to bring to the table this week. Uh, but hopefully, yes, in this next episode, I think that's, that's the next move I would want is to talk to Joseph Blackwell and Knox, who almost seems like he's mm-hmm. sort of like the Liam, if you will, to the Blackwell family. And he's the murderer. Just kidding. Liam hated Jeremiah. Knox hates <laughs> Dylan. So he's the one that framed Dylan. Knox is Purvis. Wait, no, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Liam and Knox are in Liam- love. <laughs> I wanted to That's say it, it, but I didn't want to stereotype myself. Nope. <laughs> Everybody in uh, Dry River has a crush on everybody else in Dry River. Basically. It's just, it's it's crushes all the way down. I would say it's small town situation. That's how it works out. Yeah, there's nothing to do but drink, gamble, and date. (laughs) That's it. Let's all move to Dry River. (laughs) All right. uh, Does anybody, is there anything we forgot to mention? I'm solid. I had one gameplay note, just in case there were any listeners who were confused by this, that Travis says when Griffin wants to use Bloodhound as a move, that he, that Griffin should mark yeah. a corruption point, And he says that he wouldn't, but he did do so in episode one. The reason for that is that you mark a corruption point when you begin a hunt, even though Bloodhound is a standard move. So since he's not beginning a new hunt, it doesn't count this time. Oh. So this just goes into the first hunt? Yeah, only only in the first hunt when he was tracking the blood initially, he had to mark corruption for that. But now he's, I think, good for anything further he uses, any further times he uses Bloodhound. Because he was still trying to check the same blood for the same blood. Yes. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Thank you. Because I was actually questioning that too. Good. God bless you for reading, Anne. Thank God one of us knows. <laughs> so I think that's going to do it for us for this week. We did have answers to our poll from last week, which was, do you fancy yourself a gambler? The answers were, I know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and our winning answer, know when to run. Thanks for answering, everybody. And we do have, of course, a new one for you. Who do you think the murderer is? We will have that poll up on Twitter, at Romancing Zone. And we'll see you in a few days. Till then, thanks so much for listening. I'm Nell Bailey. I'm Brittany Bailey. And I'm Ann Kern. And we've been Romancing the Zone. Romancing the Zone.